Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Hi there. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert! We're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised, press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. So what did we just watch? We just watched Woo Woo Terror by Night, a 1946 entry into the Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce Sherlock Holmes series. It's the story of a mysterious murder train of murder <laughs> and robbery on board a train. And uh, let's dive in. You love the opening credits of these movies. I love them. Okay, so here's. Here, I'll paint you a word picture of what these opening credits always look like, or at least all the ones that I've seen. Um, it's all smoky, and then suddenly, boom, you zoom up, 
And Nigel Bruce and Basil Rathbone are standing there looking mildly surprised. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's it. And though, and then I guess the rest of it, as they kind of play somber, spooky music, um, it's basically the shadows, the shadowy silhouettes of, um, no, I guess actually the shadows of uh, Bruce and Rathbone as they're just walking around a city. You see the shadows on the ground. And I was like, that is very good pandemic going on a walk with your friend or life partner vibes. <laughs> nice. Bringing it back to the present. And in this case, one thing that jumped out at me about the credits early on is I saw that this film was written by Frank Gruber. Uh, Gruber was one of those ridiculously prolific uh, pulp writers. He just churned these pulp stories out one after another. He was capable of writing a couple of novels in a month. I hate him. That's really productive. That's like Taylor Swift level productive. <laughs> uh, and, and so that made me think right away that this story, when you write that many stories, you learn something about story construction. You learn something about formula. You learn how to tell a story quickly and efficiently. So I thought this story would probably be pretty well constructed and work to a formula. Might not be a, a home story, though. It might just be a formula that he uh, plugged homes into. Mm -hmm. And in fact, our friend Mr. Gruber at one point published his 11-point formula on how to tell a mystery story. And so I thought before we dive into the details of this particular mystery story, I'd, I'd go through this 11-point formula really quickly. And then as we discuss the plot, we can see uh, how well he kept to this formula, or maybe if he strayed from it a little bit. You're talking like you're about to break out like a big chart or like a PowerPoint presentation. I've got a big whiteboard. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Kevin. Point one, the hero. The hero must be colorful and unusual in some way. I guess Sherlock Holmes is unusual in that he's, you know, great detective. Point two, there has to be uh, a theme or some kind of unusual uh, subject matter, such as his uh, his example was the story Death in the Main is about fighting cocks. There you go. Got, get fighting cocks in there. People will be scrambling to see that stuff. Because he says knowledge of a suspect of a subject outside of the norm is a little bit interesting in a mystery yeah, story. I could see that. Point three, the villain he says if the hero is a Superman, the villain must be a super Superman. He must be even more capable yeah, than the hero. Makes sense. Gotta, gotta have stakes and kind of keep people guessing about how it's going to go. Uh, he says in terms of a background, the story must be played against a colorful or unusual background, perhaps a train. Uh, number five. Wait, is his example actually train? He's, his example is the story must be played against a colorful background. The streets of a big city are not necessarily colorful. If they're not, make them so. Okay, so he, I, he did not give the example of train. I, I did that uh, just as a bit of a spoiler. This story takes place on a train, the Sherlock Holmes story. Uh, point number five, murder method. Uh, an unusual method of murder should be uh, employed, not just something cliched. Point number six, there are only two reasons for murder, hate and greed, but there are many subdivisions of these, and so the motive should be as unusual as possible. I don't think those are the only reasons. What other reasons are there for murder? I most mean, foul? sex. Well, I, I, yeah, lust, 
wild desire. Yeah. Uncontrollable you passion. On. You can move on. Do Point, I have to? Yeah. Point number seven, clue. Somewhere in the story, there must be a clue for the alert reader. Point number eight, trick. <laughs> in the grand finale, when all seems lost, when the hero cannot possibly win out, he must snatch victory from apparent defeat. By doing a card trick. By doing a trick. Turning a trick, maybe. <laughs> You're so vulgar. <laughs> Number nine, action. The story must have pace and movement. It must not consist of talk, talk, talk. Number 10, climax. A grand smashing climax is necessary. Point number 11, emotion. The hero should be personally involved in some manner. He should be doing this over and above the call of duty. Well, I'm going to tell you that that one he definitely did not fulfill in this story because Holmes seems checked out. (laughs) One thing he did fulfill was kind of an unusual theme or background because the picture starts by telling us all about the star of Rhodesia. But then they go on a train. This does not take place in Rhodesia or wherever. But we, but we get lots of stock footage about Rhodesia and this. Uh, no, I mean diamond. not really. We get like two seconds of stock, like some colonialist ass stock footage, being like the the star of Rhodesia is this famous gem and causes woe to whoever owns it. <laughs> and you're like, you know what? It probably caused woe to the you know nation that you stole it from too. <clears throat> not so good. No. Blood diamonds, folks. <laughs> not good. You're so political. Yeah, so political. Uh, after we learn a little bit about the diamond, we get uh, a posh dame visits a coffin maker. As a posh dames do. I mean, I know speaking as one. Uh, she's being very flippant about her dead mother, who she's putting in the coffin, allegedly. Well, you sound suspicious. Yeah, I don't know if she's on the up and up here. And then we jump into a bustling commercial for English Rail. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and complete with some random exposition from some guy who about why he booked the day car versus a night car for homes. They're going to be in the day car because there was no night cars left. But the day car has these amenities. And you're just like, what? what is That scene went on and on. What's going on? <laughs> and here's how much it was. So we actually saved a lot of money. It was like, just shut up and get on the train. But somebody's missing right now. Who's missing? From this Holmes picture, we have Sherlock and his new client who's overly explaining how trains work to him. And and we even have in- Inspector Lestrade yeah. randomly shows up. Yeah, he's there. I'm so emotional about that. <laughs> You're My choking up. You, you almost I'm so lost. delighted. <laughs> Inspector Lestrade went through some stuff in this one. So you, you know, you just really appreciate him. You recognize that. Um, and, you know, we have the people on the train and we, we learn that uh, this young man, uh, has hired Holmes to help him out with this this uh, star of Rhodesia, making sure it doesn't fall into harm's way. Yes, he wants Holmes to guard this rare diamond. Uh, is that something you think of as a Sherlock Holmes uh, job, being a security guard? <laughs> being a rent-a-cop? <laughs> is that what, what you'd use? Is that how you'd use Holmes in a yeah, story? Yeah, it seems like Holmes is more of like, something has happened, please come in and help us. Like... You know, maybe they, maybe the, I don't, I don't know. I don't know the London, uh, the English tr- rail maps, but maybe the, we're, we started the train maybe south of London. It's going through London. Please come to the station and meet us here and join us because the it's missing now, you know, and, the, and then move on from there. 
And did his Holmes have like some sort of international reputation as a security guard, or is is, he, is his reputation for other things? I mean, I forget. Had, had this young man, um, who I believe was named Carstairs, was he um, was he threatened about it? Taylor threw that over. Yeah, I don't even remember. It's not a very compelling mystery and at this point the mystery hasn't even begun because the gem is fine and, and also by hiring holmes who is internationally known you're attracting a lot of attention and you think well if you do hire holmes maybe he can wear one of his ridiculous uh, racist disguises so people won't know it's the famed detective sherlock holmes no but he's just standing there in his normal clothes looking very bored just like me. <laughs> but no, but... But, but at this point, early in the movie, he's not really looking bored. He's looking heartbroken. Yeah, we're missing somebody. Who are we missing, Kevin? Dr. Watson. Where is he? The train's about to leave. <laughs> train actually starts pulling out, and then we see... No, no, no. We need to build this up a little bit, because you have to understand, I'm somebody who's perpetually late for everything. I'm just a total asshole, and, and, and this scene really stressed me out. The scene gave me hives. Like, if you miss a train, that's going to mess up your whole day and your buddy's on the train. I mean, what a nightmare. This this gave me heart palpitations. It was the most thrilling scene in the entire picture. You have <laughs> Nigel Bruce, triumphant, resplendent as Dr. Watson, just huffing and puffing down the, down the train platform. Just the most undignified thing. He's got some floozy with him. And by floozy, I mean a middle-aged white guy with a mustache. Who's that? Holmes doesn't know him. He's his side best friend. But anyway, they're running towards the train, and Holmes is looking out the window, worried. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's very stressful. Watson's with some guy uh, whose name is apparently Duncan Bleak. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that sounds like a legitimate name. That, yeah. is, that doesn't sound like what's, a... What's your name, old chap? Uh, Duncan Bleak. <laughs> Duncan Bleak? So, um, yeah, it's off to a roaring start here. It's like this old man panics. He looks around. He sees somebody carrying a box of cake mix from Duncan <laughs> Hines and someone over in the next corner reading Bleak House. <laughs> <laughs> Kaiser Soze did. But basically, and yeah. I, I guess since Duncan Bleak and Dr. Watson are both running late, I guess it wasn't terribly important for either one of them to be on the train. No. Because they're very casual about it. They're very casual. They don't give a shit. I mean, this is not that important. They're basically like they're basically two seconds away from kind of muttering on their blessed, like what like, as if I care. I mean, that's that's the whole vibe they give off through this movie. I wonder if it was one of the later pictures. It must have been. This was the second to last one, I believe. There yeah. It has very, very strong penultimate vibes here. You could tell Basil Rathbone is just phoning it in at this point. He's done. But anyways. But Nigel Bruce is as delightful as ever. Love Nigel. Nigel. He plays a wonderful oaf. This guy is just a nightmare to deal with. Can you imagine going on just a casual vacation with Watson? How much of a clusterfuck that would turn into? He'd forget this plane ticket. Then he'd get like pulled over by TSA because he didn't know you couldn't bring a gun to the airport. I mean, it would just be a disaster. He's the kind of guy. He would get like locked up abroad and it would become a whole thing because he'd just be being a doofus. But you'd never be bored. No, you, no. Just be in, in maybe immortal terror, frustrated, furious, so angry you could cry, but you would never be bored. But anyways, so what happens next? What is this? A, is this a quiet train? Is this gonna be a quiet, quiet interlude, and we're just gonna end up in Scotland, or is this gonna be a train thing? This is gonna be a train. This thing. is gonna be one of those train things. You start getting like little glimpses of some of the people on the train, and by some strange coincidence, all of them. 
seem to be highly suspicious in one way or the other. I just have a... I, they could have done some fun train puns with the title. I don't get why they called this Terror by Night. When you say Terror Anya, by Night... people died. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> you know... People died. Terror train. Something. Give me something to work with. Terror by rail. Something. But, you know, it... it I just think that they, they they missed an opportunity here. That's all I'm saying. But anyways, lots of suspicious, shifty characters on the train. I mean, if you've been on an Amtrak train, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's looking upset and like they don't want to be there and bleary-eyed and, you know, staring at each other. No, I'm just kidding. I love Amtrak. I'm going to make a lot of Amtrak jokes in this because I, I miss it. Had a lot of good experiences on my my Amtrak jobs. You even uh, wrote a story about uh, your experience yeah. on Amtrak. And I still get emails about that with a lot of old older people saying like, "Hey, you know, here's what you should do next time." So it's great. People love people love trains. I, I guess one thing I'm going to ask you to think about, Kevin, as we talk about this is why are so many mysteries set on old timey trains? Uh, I would say it is because you have a number of people in a confined spot that they can't easily leave yeah well i dig it i don't hate it and and honestly all the all these movies have just ruined me for actual trains because then i always go onto amtrak's expecting something more than i get and also in a real world sense if you're doing a low budget shitty movie (laughs) you just need like one or two sets yeah put them on a train yeah and you don't even need to have a real train because this movie Whenever we take a shot of the train chugging furiously through the night, it's obviously a toy train. <laughs> they broke out their Lionel set and just <laughs> went nuts. It's obviously a miniature. <laughs> You're just expecting Holmes to be like, Watson, leave that alone. Stop playing with your toy trains. <laughs> but even Watson, even the, the dullard Watson, when we see Lestrade on the train, Lestrade says, well, you, well, you know, guys, I'm just here because I want to go over to Scotland and do some salmon fishing. And even Watson doesn't buy that. But anyways. Um, there was an, uh, one of the suspicious people on this train was an older woman who had uh, quite the chapeau. The chapeau? What is a chapeau? <laughs> what is a chapeau? Wasn't oh, it a hat? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't speak French. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. She has like this weird pointy thing on her head. It was very confusing. But anyways, immediately uh, Lady Margaret, who is the owner of the Star of Rhodesia, um, is kind of giving Holmes and Watson a hard time. She's like this old society dame, very fancy. Her son has hired Holmes and Watson to help protect the diamond. Uh, And she's just kind of like, oh, I don't need policemen. And they're like, we're not policemen. And like Watson's making some like, you know, anti-police jokes and stuff. Of course, he'll be doing that also when Lestrade waltzes in, so that's fun. It, it, it kind of is it, it's immediately kind of leaving the viewer, I think, being like, why are they hired to do this? And then, of course, they're hired to protect the diamond, and then the first thing they do is they leave the diamond and go and hang out in the dining room. And when Holmes gets to the dining room, he gets quite the jolt. There was a letter. Amtrak changed its menu. <laughs> there was a letter left there for him that says, I would advise you to stop now. I, I feel like that's a great put down. You know, like it's kind of polite, but it's just like, 
it's like so done with whatever shit you're doing. When you do things that annoy me, Kevin, from now on, I'm just going to leave a neat little note where you can find it. I advise you to stop now. (laughs) That's how it's going to be from now on. And same with you too, Lanny. All your nonsense. Lanny, of course, is our beloved dog. Yes. She's a bit of a trickster. (laughs) Well, that's needed for a Gruber film, right? (laughs) You need that trick at the end. You need that trick at the end. Gruber style. Uh, Gruber style, baby. And you, then someone dies. Oh, well, you made a good point, though. Before before we get to that, I mean, the fact that Holmes is on this train probably did not help this situation, I imagine, right? He's getting threatening notes. Yeah, I mean, it's like you're already... Yeah, anyways. And why, why, why is he... He's paid to guard something, and then he goes to the dining car. So, I mean, at this point, I realized... I could do that. At this point, I realized... Because I didn't know. I thought, okay, we're going to go to Scotland and then they're going to have some nighttime terrifying adventures. At this point, I realized there's a dead man on the train. It's a train thing, folks. It's a good old-fashioned train mystery. We're here to stay. And I got excited because I like train mysteries. And there was a dead man on the train, but who yeah. was it? It was Mr. Carstairs, the man who Holmes who was hired by. <laughs> He's dead. I joked that he is on the wrong vehicle because <laughs> he's car stairs. I'm sorry. And what's interesting is, you know, this man hired Holmes, put his trust in Holmes. He ends up dead. Uh, no one seems really all that broken up about it. No one gives a shit. Not even the guy's mother seems to be that upset about no, it. No, she's more worried about where the diamond is because now, of course, the diamond is missing. And then, of course, Watson and his weird friend... Doctor, you know, Mr. Major Bleak are, are just upset that Holmes did, pulled a dining dash at the dining car re- restaurant and then... Um, yeah, you know. Holmes and his... Watson and his friend were sitting there talk, arguing about rice. And for some reason, uh, Holmes didn't dig that conversation and he left. And then they get into an argument later. Uh, how do we even know that this guy was murdered? Maybe he just happened to coincidentally die. After losing the diamond. Yeah. And, I mean, Watson and his friend barge in just chatting away about rice or whatever shit. And, and they don't even notice that this guy is lying there dead. It's pretty horrifying. And I was thinking, like, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm the only one who does this. But you ever think about characters and it's like, this guy died. Like, his life mattered. I mean, he's, he's fictional. But, like, in the context of the show, he, he died. And, and, like, does his mother have any more kids? Like, does she have a family? Is this it? Like, this is pretty momentous, and everyone just is very much treating it like, oh, whoops. I mean, it's kind of like they all just got told they were, you know, going to run into an hour delay getting to their next stop. Even the man's mother. Even the man's mother. And it's like, that's not how humans act. If somebody died on a train while you were on it, even if you weren't, like, didn't know about the situation, you'd be freaked out. You'd be like, geez. There's a murderer on this train Yeah, with me. somebody's killing people on the friggin' train. That's not a good train ride. I mean, people are going to... Actually, it's a pretty good train ride. Gives you a story for the rest of your life. You'd love that. (laughs) No, I would not love to be... No, I would not. I I don't want anyone to die just to entertain me. But, you know... Uh, You kind of do. No. No. You're so... You're ridiculous. You'd write a story about it for B.I. You'd love it. Why don't you come on the train with me, Kevin? (laughs) We'll see what happens. (laughs) I'm a millennial who was on a murder train for the first time. Oh, my God. (laughs) You'd 
You'd find a way to die a very embarrassing death on a train. <laughs> You'd stumble into <laughs> some embarrassing hijinks. But I, I want to stress that Anya's comments about how the death of this person affected her, that's more grief and more care than anyone in the movie expresses. <laughs> Including the mother person. who loses perhaps her only son. That was horrible. Um, yeah, no one cares otherwise. And... Uh, Oh, yeah. One thing I wondered, I mean, if you were friends in real life with Sherlock Holmes, Kevin, and you were on a train with him and then somebody died and he said they got murdered, would you be like giving him guff about that? I see, wait, are you, are you sure he was murdered? <laughs> Maybe it was a coincidence. People die all the time. But I mean, if your friend was Sherlock Holmes. I'd believe him. You'd believe him. You wouldn't be giving him shit. Guy has a pretty good track record. Yeah. I don't know why he didn't just snap there and say, do you know who the fuck I am? Like... <laughs> Just, just start freaking out. I mean, Watson's basically ditched him to hang out with this whiskey-swilling major bleak, and now everyone's saying, I don't know if this guy actually got murdered even though the diamond is missing. I mean, that's really frustrating, you know? This is what he does. He does crimes. He solves crimes. He's the crime guy, and everybody's just kind of shitting on him here, and it's, it's not cool. Watson, though, is full of doubts. He says, well, maybe we should have an autopsy. And I was <laughs> through some <laughs> through some horrible miscommunication. Watson thinks that Holmes wants him to do an autopsy on the train, and would start a heinous, horrible scene in the snack car in front of some kids. <laughs> what what's going on? <laughs> Nigel Bruce staggers in, covered in blood. <laughs> oh, sorry, old chap. <laughs> But isn't it striking how passive and out of it and withdrawn Holmes seems through all of this? Here's how Basil Rathbone's portrayal of Sherlock Holmes struck me in this whole movie. You know when you're in public and you, you can't not be in public. You're not anywhere near home. But you start feeling really sick. You either have like a stomach ache or, or something. Maybe you feel nauseated. Like, and, and you... Like, you can't freak out. Like, if you were at home, you could be, like, rolling on your bed groaning, but you're in public, so you have to kind of, like, be very calm and, like, very together. But, like, if somebody starts engaging with you or talking to you, you're kind of just, oh, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Like, you're not really, like, in it. That's how he seems <laughs> in this whole movie. But anyway, I you know, mean... I mean, I, I, I was thinking uh, at this point, the story's not super well executed, but it's kind of inherently interesting. Even if Holmes isn't interested in it, I was a little bit interested in it because there's all these suspicious people on a train. There's this mysterious uh, major bleak. There's this woman who had a coffin made for her mother. There's this bizarre old couple, all these things. Any one of them could be guilty in some way. This seemed like a very classic formulaic uh, setup for a pulp story. So therefore very Gruber-like, but it did not really seem like what I'd expect from a Sherlock Holmes story. I don't think of him as doing like locked room type mysteries like this. What about the the speckled band? It's kind of a locked room-ish mystery. It's kind of a dumb mystery. It is. <laughs> Everybody says that's such a great story. And, it's, and the spoiler is if a person has been bitten by a snake and has moments to live and you ask them, what happened? Instead of saying, I was bit by a goddamn fucking snake, they would say, it was the band. 
the speckled band. Uh, knowing that, me, that is dumb. Knowing me, I'd be like, it, it was that thing over there, and then die. Like, I wouldn't be able to form it. I'd be like, it, over there, and like pointing vaguely at a wall. That would be me. <laughs> and if it was me, I'd just ask them to repeat the question because I didn't quite understand. Huh? What? <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah no it's, but, but i think this sort of how, okay if you were gonna do a holmes train mystery well first of all this story i think would work better with like a nick charles than man sort of thing. oh yeah yeah i could totally see nick and nora getting drunk on the train hanging out on the train bantering on the train just having a grand old time on a big fancy train with a bunch of sinister characters i would i would have loved a, a thin man take with william powell and myrna loy like this i don't think i i don't think asta I w- would be running asta would be eating the snacks in the dining car and they'd be people would be tripping over asta in the aisles he'd trip the murderers at the end it'd be great yeah asta would be the watson in the story yeah asta would be you know and that's okay because he's a dog <laughs> i'm not sure holmes really fits into a murder train story what do you think you don't want to put sherlock you don't want to buy sherlock a ticket for the murder train is that what you're saying yes <laughs> <laughs> that's what i'm saying I don't know. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not as much a Holmes purist as you are, I think. So, I mean, I don't mind, but I think you're going to, I think they needed to liven up this story a little bit. Seemed a little overstuffed with stuff that wasn't as interesting. There were some great comedic scenes and I think we're coming up on, I think some of my favorite scenes in the movie, which is where uh, Holmes inexplicably (laughs) (laughs) tells Watson to go and start personally interrogating some of the passengers. Watson, who barely got on this train on time. He's the guy for the job. He's going to solve the mystery. How would you, Anya, react if you're in a sleeping car and suddenly John Watson... <laughs> Played by Nigel Bruce, mind you. Pops in and says he's from Scotland Yard. I, I mean, the way, he, the way he comes at these people who are minding their own business on this train... And he's just like, oh, Sherlock Holmes, Scotland Yard, Sherlock Holmes. I mean, like he's just saying words like, again and again as if you're supposed to understand what he means. He he sounds drunk. I, you'd be like, get the hell out of my car, you freak. I mean, like you, would, you wouldn't be tolerating this big fat doofus coming around and bothering you in the train, scaring your kids. I mean, he seems ridiculous. He's not making any sense when he's talking to these people. One guy gets really pissed at him and starts uh, reading him the riot act. That guy owned Watson so hard that I think Watson in that scene, basically Watson was on the defensive. The guy was like, well, where were you when the murder happened? And he's trying to explain it. Yeah, Watson's about to confess. Yeah, Watson is about to sign and date a forced (laughs) confession because this guy is using brutal you know, corrupt cop tactics to elicit it. I mean, it's really, it's it's something to behold. This guy's making fun of the whole Sherlock Holmes franchise. He's oh like, my God, yeah. This is all Holmes does is chase after jewels and mysterious females. Which so is like, literally the whole friggin' series in the 40s. It's really brutal. Like, it, it, it's like Gruber had a moment where he was like, you know what? <laughs> this is pretty stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Gruber wrote that guy as like you know what what he imagined his critic to be, <laughs> some snippy unfun guy being like, "This is just stupid. What are you all doing?" <laughs> it makes you. I mean, it makes you think. I mean, you have a more of a focus on the Victorian homes, but like, he solved a a, a myriad of different kinds of crime. It wasn't all slinky dames and cursed jewels. 
there were also snake related crimes and uh uh mad scientist related crimes and uh woman blackmailer crimes yeah there was and redheaded crimes ooh well and uh thumb crimes the crimes against thumbs <laughs> That's a, that one freaked me out as a kid. Why? Like, what, losing your thumb into a big dumb machine? That's kind of horrifying. Yeah. I don't like that idea. I like my thumbs. I've got to give a thumbs up. <laughs> Without them. But anyways, the train ride's getting very silly. They meet Miss Vera, who is the woman who um, had a coffin with her mother in it, allegedly. Uh, put into the train. She's got this like bizarre accent where half the time she sounds American and half the time she sounds kind of low class British. And then half the time she sounds kind of like posh British. So we don't really, we don't really know what's going on with her, but she's certainly not to be trusted. But meanwhile, Watson is still interrogating people. I don't I still don't understand why they asked him to do this unless they just wanted to get him out of the way. So at this point he goes into uh, a little room or a cabin or whatever, the, whatever you call them where there's an elderly couple and he, and they make clear they have something to confess and Watson freaks the fuck out. They gave off like a real American Gothic energy, didn't they? Yeah. yeah they kind of creep me out. So, so Watson runs to Holmes and Lestrade and says, these old people, they want to confess. And Lestrade says, what? These people are confessing and you left them unguarded? Watson says, well, don't worry. I told them not to run away. Watson's just rushing this because he wants his defense attorney to be able to throw out the signed confession he gave that mean math professor. <laughs> He's going to try to get everyone to confess now so it all gets thrown out. <laughs> so then Lestrade and Holmes go to where this old couple is, and it's painfully obvious that whatever confession they're going to make is not related to the main crime and that Watson's going to get his allegedly humorous comeuppance <laughs> but this this scene drags on so long it's one of those very winking coy scenes where you're like i know what's happening just just end it <laughs> <laughs> just please Stop. he's already dead <laughs> <laughs> and the little old couple's like smirking and looking very like i told you pa you shouldn't have done it like oh god <laughs> uh. <laughs> And so, needless to say, the big confession is that uh, this old couple stole a teapot from a hotel. <sighs> Sad trombone. That's the tea. <laughs> then we go, um, I mean, I, my thought, though, when I saw them holding the teapot in horror and disgust was that this would be great if the diamond was in the teapot and then they came back to these people later on. And then. So you were so bored. I was you were replotting the movie yourself. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> My mind was at work. This, I mean, this movie's basically just jumping between sort of wacky characters on the train the whole time. And it, it just feels like Holmes and the audience are sort of along for the ride, wouldn't you say? Along for the train ride, as it were? Hi, yeah, there you go. <laughs> at one point, Lestrade, uh, he surveys all the mess that Watson's been making of things. And he says, it might be a good idea to let the police do their own work. Yes, which I felt that that was prescient given... The uh, 21st century <laughs> true crime craze. Lots, lots of people who are pretending to be police or aren't being, aren't really police and are disgusted to be confused with police. Like lots of very strange police related antics 
in this film. I noticed that. That's kind of that is it, it, Mr. Gruber liked themes. Maybe that's maybe that's maybe that's theme. a theme. Maybe like what is the nature of law enforcement? Should you know the state is allowed to commit violence against the citizens? That's legitimate, you know, in in the eyes of the law. But like, what does that mean? I think he was getting to some really deep, uh, deep thoughts there. <laughs> Perhaps we should dig deeper into Mr. Gruber's oeuvre. Mm-hmm. Anyways, at a certain point. A certain deep cut in the Holmes universe is brought up. And what is that? That is Mr. or actually Colonel Mr. <laughs> Embarrassing myself. Colonel Sebastian <laughs> Moran. <laughs> How is Mr. Moran? He might up? be on the train just like everyone else. He rides trains just like us normies. No, he's on he's probably on the train. Um, he's almost as dangerous as Mr. Moriarty. Or Mr. Moriarty. I'm getting everybody's titles wrong. What the hell? Professor Moriarty. And, you know, he might be... Holmes never saw him. He doesn't know what he looks like, but he's felt his presence before. Maybe he feels it now. Who could this Moran be, though? I think at this point, you had some suspicions. At this point, I knew who it was, and I'm going to spoil it for you. It's obviously Major Friggin' Bleak. This guy... Bigfoots his way onto the train with Watson, almost makes Watson late, then shows up. Oh, yeah, I guess I'll come too. I mean, like, come on. Who wants to go on a train ride randomly? You know what I mean? Like, just totally randomly after getting drinks with their buddy. You want to go home. You don't want to say, oh, let's go on a train ride. It's not, it's not like the next step in a pub crawl. It, it, and it's not like a train ride to downtown London. It's a train ride to Scotland. Yeah, you're going to have to go to Scotland. You're going to shell out a fortune to stay at a hotel. I mean, come on. And also, but in fairness, if if you uh, were out on the town and you run into Nigel Bruce, and Nigel Bruce is going to go on a train, you're gonna stick like glue to Nigel Bruce because I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> you'd go to Scotland with Nigel Bruce. Yeah, I probably would. Yeah. Right, hopefully, you'd come too. Well, if I didn't, you'd send me a wire. Yeah, <laughs> you're not you're not invited. <laughs> we're just gonna we're just you and Nigel. <laughs> me, Nigel, <laughs> Nigel's. The guy I told you not to worry about. <laughs> On a romantic trip yeah, to Scotland. He stole me ma- away. Can you imagine the, the Nigel Bruce Watson is a romantic figure? What that would be like? You couldn't even be mad about it. You know, you just have to be like, oh, Nigel. Yeah, that somehow fits. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, at some point. Oh, yeah. that We have a great, great montage here in this film. Um Lestrade is sitting there with Sherlock and just literally naming all the different characters that we've seen so far in the film. And the shot is just panning across each of them doing kind of maybe a little bit, you know, maybe looking around shifty eyed um, as he brings them up. So, you know, pretty, pretty nice reminder to the audience about what the hell is going on at this point. Oh, and at this point, Watson, I think, is also talking to Sherlock at some point. Or I, I don't know what I mean. This is this is how much I zoned out, and how also how hard it is to tell people apart in these movies sometimes, because everyone's just like walking around in suits. Watson's talking about different card games, and I believe he's talking to Holmes. And when he looks up, Holmes is just gone. <laughs> he just faded away into nothingness because the, all the talk of the rice and the cards was just so boring and he's so bored with this film because basil rathbone is just finished at this point and what happens to holmes well then you find out that it's way worse than we even thought kevin because holmes might be contemplating suicide because he's like sticking his head out the you know the gap between the cars 
And then, of course, naturally, because this is a train mystery, what happens? You tell me. You don't know? You blacked out? You got so scared of the terror by night? A, a shadowy assailant tries to push him off the train. And this is terrifying for Holmes. And what time of day does it happen at? Night. So it was terror by, by night. night. There's your title, babe. But you could have called it terror by train because terror by night could apply to any nighttime terror anywhere. It doesn't have to be on a train. The train is such a focal point of this movie. That- if, if you do a terror by train, that could happen during like at dawn. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> that could happen at, at noon. The important thing is this is happening. It's, it's, I, the Kevin, important thing Kevin, is Kevin. He's not going to die. If he everything falls. No. is more scary at night. He's not going to die if he falls off the train because it's nighttime. He's going to die because he's falling off a train. Everything is scary. Prove at me night. wrong. <laughs> everything is scarier at night. Ugh. Terror by terror by daylight. Terror, terror by, by train. midday. Terror by train, baby. I think it would be pretty terrifying to get thrown off a train in the daylight, to be honest. <laughs> Maybe even more scary than at night. You could see everything that's happening. It never happened because there's so many witnesses. Well, obvi- people were doing... Why are there so many train mysteries then? <laughs> people are dropping dead on trains constantly. It's always a murder. Obviously, it was a huge problem in the 40s if we're to believe films. <laughs> you went on a train and you were taking your life in your hands. But anyways, so, I mean, can you also imagine how scary that would be if you're, like, walking through cars and somebody was, like, like throwing you off? Yikes. Another thing to worry about. <laughs> I like that you wrote down in your notes, why couldn't they have filmed a real train? <laughs> Is that such an impossible task? The miniature trains used are not convincing in the slightest. You would think that anybody with any resources whatsoever, even if you just own a camera, you can go out to a train track and film a train. Kevin, these this is a Sherlock Holmes Basil Rathbone movie. I don't know what you wanted. <laughs> these people are scraping the bottom of the barrel here in terms of sets and all that stuff. The budget's gone. We don't know where it went. We don't even want to think about it, but it's gone. It's very sad, but true. So Holmes somehow survives. He and Watson go prowling around. They find a trick coffin. That's the trick. Is it? Or is that just a a trick to make you think it's the trick? And is there another trick coming up? Gruber style. Yeah, I wasn't. You were like like ranting about like (laughs) 11,000 rules. And I was like, okay. I I don't know. I remember trick. And I remember like. Interesting setting. <laughs> oh, but of course, when they're in, you know, looking at this trick coffin. So it, it, they found, you know, basically it's a place where the murderer hid in order to get on the train. There's also a suspicious train worker. So it's not just the passengers who are shifty. It's the employees, too. You can't trust anybody on a train. Everybody in this train is suspicious. That's the rule. So then they go and they confront the woman who brought the coffin on board. And she says, oh, yeah, sure. Uh, some guy just <laughs> came up to me and said, hey, would you take a coffin to Scotland? And I said, eh, why not? He offered her some money, right? He offered her a little bit of money. Would you do it? Take a coffin to Scotland? For a little bit of money? <laughs> What's there to lose? Would you do it? No. Why not? I don't want to get involved in some stuff. <laughs> It'd give you a great anecdote. For all I know, it's they're gonna. Bl- it's the, there's a bomb in the coffin. 
Wouldn't you like uh, sneak a peek? For all I know, what the second you open the, you know, coffin, the bomb goes off. <laughs> I'm too smart for this kind of stuff, Kevin. I would never take a shifty coffin up to friggin' Scotland. I take coffins anywhere. Yeah, you'll just go. You're you're hauling them in all hours of the day. <laughs> Our apartment is crammed full of coffins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now you've got me scared to open them. Bad stuff might happen. That's all I'm saying. Got to be cautious. Got to be smart about it. Oh, yeah. And this woman's totally blasé about admitting this. Like, basically admitting she was, like, you know, went over the speed limit a few years ago. <laughs> What's it to you? I took a coffin on a train for a nice gentleman. And it's like, what? <laughs> she doesn't care. People have been killed. <laughs> What's it to her? It's just another Tuesday. It's just another Tuesday. This posh lady... What happens at this point? I don't even remember. <laughs> Home starts making all sorts of insinuations, suggesting that Bleak could be Moran. Bleak also looks exactly like Lestrade in both of our opinions, so that adds to a lot of the confusion in this scene. Spoiler. That might be important later. Yes. Also, just a lot of people look alike in these movies to me. Uh, Watson is very defensive. Wouldn't you be? Wouldn't you be? If you were hanging out with one of your friends, and you started, and I started saying, "That's Osama bin Laden," wouldn't you be like, "What the hell?" Like, <laughs> but if your friend is Sherlock Holmes, maybe you give him the benefit of the doubt. I agree, yeah. I agree. But I mean, it's still it's an awkward it's an awkward scene, and and as for all you know, that Holmes is doing some sort of double switch to throw off the real murderer, but he's doing it at the expense of your friendship with this guy. Which maybe is maybe is the goal. Maybe he's trying to break up because he's jealous. He's breaking up Bleak and Watson because he is jealous. He wants that hot Watson juice all to himself. Never, never say that again. <laughs> that that's a banned phrase now. <laughs> but yeah, no. So it's very awkward. Friends fighting friends. Lestrade is making just statements like "I am the law" before he said in this movie, "I am Scotland Yard." So clearly, he's been going to some program in order to feel you know more confident more assured so good for him love Lestrade why what, what about Lestrade uh, scratches your itch you know he's he's a pretty brave guy you know he's bumbling but at the end of the day he doesn't like cause usually like horrific problems the way Watson does he's a lot more capable than Watson yeah he's just he's not always super quick on the uptake but like I, I relate to that People are telling me things. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And then I, I take a minute, think about it. And I'm like, oh, yes, I understand. So that's, I mean, I like Lestrade. We're all Lestrade. We're all Lestrade. Lestrade's not so bad. Um, and then meanwhile, the you know, b- being the genius detective he is, uh, Holmes manages to get himself and Watson locked in the baggage compartment. Where there's another dead train employee. I mean... I'm going to tell you that two murders on a train is pretty bad, but I've had a worse train experience because I've attempted to sleep overnight in just a regular Amtrak sleep, you know, seat. And that was worse than two murders. <laughs> you poor thing. It was awful. I woke up at one point and it was way too hot. No, I woke up at one point and it was way too cold. I was freezing. So I put a sweater on and then I went back to sleep and then I woke up again. And it, I was boiling hot, and I was like stumbling around. I went over to the water thing to get water. It was and it was a oh, 
much worse. Much worse than anything happening on this murder train right now. Would have made a better movie. (laughs) (laughs) Me stumbling around with my stupid balloon animal that I brought on the train for some reason. (laughs) Yeah, that would be that would be more like better than this. I mean, maybe. But, you know, I, I, I've also noticed something, like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I think you know the, the original stories a little bit better. But, you know, this train employee dies, gives his life in this mystery because he's guarding the coffin. What, don't you feel that death is treated with more reverence and respect in the story, in original stories? Yeah, no one seems to care. Like, here. I think of the, the mystery of, like, the f- five orange pips. Which, spoiler, if you've never read that, um, their client dies. And, like, Holmes is sad about it. He has, like, a human reaction and feels, like, defeated and sad that he couldn't save that guy. And it's, like, treated like a death. You know? He's not, like, breaking down wailing about it. But, like, it's, like, they're, like, oh, no, this, you know. They, like, have a moment to kind of reflect on it. And these people are dropping, like, flies. And it's it's kind of just, like, eh, oh, no, you know. No one cares. They don't feel any sense of danger themselves. They don't feel any grief. Not even the man's mother. Oh, in in the case of the client in this yeah. movie, yeah. Um, but yeah. Anyways, uh, just something I noticed comparing, you know, the uh, the books to these movies. And then we meet the person who was hiding in the coffin. Yes, he's a spooky guy. I found out some information about him. He he's he was apparently like a Shakespearean actor. Who like became famous for doing a lot of really horror movies? Yeah, I'm not kidding. His name is Skelton Nags. Really? I'm not making this up. You're looking at me like I'm making it up. <laughs> Unless Skel- so this, this guy, his name is Skelton Barnaby Nags. This guy sounds like Froggy in the R Gang comedies, and you're telling me he's a Shakespearean actor named Skelton Barnaby Nags. Yes. He was in House of Dracula. He was in The Ghost Ship. And Fritz Lang's period adventure, Moonfleet. He died of liver cirrhosis because he was an alcoholic in 1955. So he had a tragic life. But yeah, he was like a, he was in a lot of horror movies. He was in Dick Tracy. He was in the Dick Tracy films. Oh, the ones with Ralph Bird? I, I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe we should watch those next in the series. But anyways, he's apparently a big deal. I just wanted to point that out. Skelton Nags. This is not a bit. I'm not making him up. Skelton Barnaby Nags. He's real. I'm going to wake up in the morning and the Wikipedia page is going to be gone. <laughs> I'm going to just hallucinated the whole thing. But anyway, his voice is really creepy. It's kind of like childish, almost feminine. And he's like walking around. He's got a pockmarked face. He's, I described him as a haunted child. <laughs> very ominous. Very odd looking. Not really used to any really intimidating effect, if I'm being honest. He, I guess, um, knocks out another train employee. And then... There's this odd scene... Where he, I believe he's like strangling a train employee. I think it's meant to be chilling as they, the camera pans down to their feet and it looks like they're just kind of dancing. <laughs> <laughs> I 
time for the foxtrot. <laughs> and then he he walks away from this, and you see him kind of uh, running his hands uh, up and down his own legs like he's brushing lint off his pants. So this not very riveting stuff. To I mean, me. that's what I do when I strangle people. Just got to make sure I'm looking you've good. Made a, you've made a slip. Oh, ah. no. <laughs> My scheme. You know, but, you know, skeleton Barnaby nags. Is not even in the picture for that long. <laughs> like maybe, what, three minutes? I, I don't really know why they <laughs> had him in here. <laughs> so he strangles a guy. But then they're careful to say that, don't worry, that other... Just in case you think we hate train employees, I just knocked that one out. Okay, so he knocks out a train employee. He does. He's, he, they make they go out of the way to be like that guy is not dead. He's coming back. He's all right. He then goes and he interacts with Colonel Moran, who is indeed our friend Bleak, and then Bleak takes uh, Mister Nags to Lestrade, and uh, Nags knocks out Lestrade as well, and then Moran uh, shoots and kills Nags. Not with a gun, though. What does he kill him with? Some kind of a uh, air gun thing. Yeah, that shoots little poison darts. That's how Car Stairs and uh, the dead train employee were also murdered. So Nags is in this picture, like what, three minutes? Three minutes, but it's a memorable three minutes because he looks so weird. <laughs> also, what was that? Um, we were talking about the, your list of infinite bullet points that you read in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> that was. Did that have something about how the method of death has to be kind of kooky and crazy? Yeah. Yeah. So, so there you go. They did it. They did it. They did it. Gruber. I mean, it makes sense if you're shooting a gun on a train, everyone's going to hear it. Right? And speaking of whether or not people would hear it, Moran points this weapon at Nags. And Nags says, oh, please, please don't shoot me. And he yells this and he screams this. And you hear it. You see, like, the woman next door hearing it. And... So people do hear this. It just doesn't seem to make any difference. The woman next door hears it. It's like she's just kind of lounging on her couch. She thinks, yeah. That's it. Like a stereotype about New Yorkers. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know. If you, if you were on a train, like a fancy train, you're in a sleeper car, and you hear, oh, don't shoot! <laughs> or, you know, like, what are you going to do? <laughs> are you going to rush the train? Are you going to rush down and solve the situation? Or are you going to hide? Which is, uh, say, hey, Porter. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, then you're just sending the Porter to his death. I have a complaint <laughs> about my Amtrak experience. Somebody's getting shot with a blowgun in the next room. I would hide, I think. Because, I don't know, I'm, I, what if it's a crazy guy who's just shooting everyone with blow darts? That'd be a hell of an anecdote. <laughs> I'm a millennial who got shot with a poison blow jarred on an Amtrak for the first time. <laughs> Ask me anything. Uh, so then, all of a sudden, uh, we've apparently crossed over into Scotland, and uh, a guy named Inspector McDonald comes on the train. He says, you're in Scotland, now I'm in charge. He's the new Inspector Lestrade in town. And, I mean, I guess my question, you're a lawyer, Kevin. So, if if you were on a murder train... You're on the murder train. And keep in mind that Scotland and England are part of the United Kingdom at this point. There's no, you know, I mean, they still are, but at this point as well. What, let, what? Let, me, let me go ahead and give you the answer. Okay. I don't know. You don't know? I don't know. Wow, that's that's real helpful. I don't know. I've never studied Scottish law. So I would, law. we'd be on the train 
We'd be on the train, and I'd be asking you, what's going to happen? Are they going to have to give over Moran to the Scottish cops? I, I don't know And you'd be Scottish like, I don't know. And I'd be like, dear, you need to go help it, help sort this whole thing out. I don't know Scottish law. I didn't. Am I wearing a kilt over here? <sighs> oh, and then suddenly someone pulls on the emergency brake. And as a kid, I always thought emergency brakes on a train were going to be a huge part of my life. Were these why did you? Th- why did you think that? They looked really cool. And in old what? movies, people are always pulling on the emergency brake. And do they really have these things on a train where any bozo could just pull on the emergency brake and throw the entire train into chaos? Does that make sense? I, I've definitely seen stuff that, like, I don't. I have no idea the answer to this, to be clear. But like, I almost feel like I've seen like signage saying like "pull in case of emergency." But I don't know if that would just like alert the conductor or something, or if that would actually. I don't. I would. I have to doubt that that would be available to anybody but train employees. Because if that was available to anybody but train employees, why haven't there been a bunch of cases of disasters caused by people doing that as for fun? Yeah, because it would be kind of fun. Go. You don't deserve to be on the murder train. So there's like a fight scene. Oh yeah, it's a very undignified aisle roller, basically, where you have a bunch of guys in suits sprawling around, punching each other in the in the aisle of of this train. Uh, after I guess they've revealed Moran is uh, in is indeed Major Bleak, and everyone's fussing around, and it just looks ridiculous. So then the Scottish police, uh, the train is stopped. Because of this emergency brake incident, and so the Scottish police haul Moran slash Bleak off the train. How embarrassing would it be if, in real life, you got hauled off a train like that and everyone saw you? Because everyone would be looking out the window. Why did we stop? What's going on? Why are there cop cars out there? Oh my God! Look at that guy getting hauled off the train. Wonder what he did. Humiliating. Probably pulled the emergency brake because he had a childhood (laughs) fantasy about doing that. And you would be screwed because you wouldn't know anything about Scottish law. <laughs> you wouldn't know how to how to get in, navigate the system, Kevin. But then wait, we see Lestrade on the floor of the train, but he has handcuffs on, and why he's not Lestrade at all? He's bleak. It's a bleak scene, and basically, well, I mean, what happened? How did this happen? Was this a mistake on the great Sherlock Holmes's part? Holmes figured out that the Scottish police officers were not really police officers at all. They were henchmen of Moran's, who Moran had arranged to come and fake arrest him. And so in order to foil this plan, uh, it was decided that they would fake arrest Lestrade instead. And I'm not sure when Holmes worked this out with Lestrade. The way he talks about it, like basically instantaneously without any communication. So basically, he just sent his dear friend Lestrade to his death. <laughs> Lestrade is fine. Uh, we then cut to a scene where, where uh, the police officers are hauling a man with a coat conveniently over his head. They take the coat off, and they see it's Lestrade, and he has a gun on them. And he says, okay, we're all going to the police station. That's pretty ballsy of Lestrade, I'm not going to lie. You don't see Watson taking those chances. And then... uh Watson says, you know, how did you, Holmes, how did you know that these fake policemen were fake policemen and not real policemen? Uh, and how did you know this guy McDonald was a fake? And uh, Holmes said, well, he was more hindrance than help, which, of course, is not a characteristic of policemen. But I guess before we stop, can we discuss your 11-point 
bulletin? Uh, and did this film fulfill any of those requirements that Mr. Gruber set out for other writers? Step one, colorful hero. Yes. Yes. Holmes was a colorful hero here. Uh, step two, theme, which he means some sort of uh, background uh, element that people don't necessarily know a lot about. Do you think it fulfilled that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, like people, people don't necessarily know all that. I mean, I don't know. Do people? I mean, fancy train travel. Okay. Uh, number three, uh, if villain, if the hero is a Superman, the villain must be a super Superman or have plenty of assistance. Yeah. Yeah, he had plenty of assistance. He was not a super Superman. Uh, number four. Background, the story must be played against a colorful or unusual background. I mean, like, the train was definitely a murder train, meaning it had lots of shifty, strange characters, so I'm sure. Uh, yeah. Number five, murder method. Yes. Uh, should be unusual, yes. and it was. Uh, number six, an unusual motive. Do you think this was an unusual motive? I'm not sure it meant the uh, goal here. No, I, 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 no I, I ended up with no idea about... I mean, Moran wanted the Rhodesia star because he's bad and it's valuable. So, no. Uh, number seven, somewhere in the story there must be a clue for the alert reader. Did you feel there were any clues here that made you think uh, Moran was actually bleak? I don't really think so, other than it's like, why is this guy in this movie? If Watson has a friend in a movie, it's either a bad guy or... Uh, assumed to be dead guy so i didn't think there was a lot of clue setting here trick in the grand finale when all seems lost when the hero cannot possibly win out he must snatch victory from apparent defeat via a trick i think that happens with this fake policeman business sure it, it didn't seem like holmes was ever almost defeated though okay maybe that's a half one Nine, action. The story must have pace and movement. It must not consist of talk, talk, talk about the missing button, etc. Um, There was some action here. Yeah, there was some action here. I thought it was Holmes pretty... almost got thrown off of a train. Yeah, love to see that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ten, a grand smashing climax is necessary. Yeah, I mean, I guess if your idea of a grand smashing climax is a, a really lame fight, taking place in the aisles between the seats of a train. <laughs> Number 11, emotion. The hero should be personally involved in some manner. That no, fails completely. No, Holmes seemed drugged during this. So it, it met a lot of those uh, formula requirements. Not all of them, but a bunch of them. I agree. I mean, and I, I think a lot of those are vague enough that it's not necessarily going to be the ingredients for a great mystery, although they can be elements that, you know, help your mystery along. But if they, there's not a lot of specific, uh, specificity to those rules, that would really ensure that it's going to be a good cracking yarn. Did this feel like a story to you, like a Sherlock Holmes story, as opposed to a Nick Charles story or a Bulldog Drummond story or a Spencer story or a Harry Bosch story? You know all the mystery men. No, it's, it's, you know, definitely not. And, and also, I think it would have actually been better served by somebody, a character that you could, you know, if, 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 you know, just anybody who knows a little bit about Sherlock Holmes, I don't think anyone can imagine him having a really good time messing around on a train. You know? Yeah. 
I but I could see Nick and Nora Charles having a great time on a train, cracking wise, making train jokes, delightful. So I, I think this would have been better suited to characters who could kind of make light of the situation and have a little bit more fun with it. So I guess I guess we'll sum up with our we'll we'll, we'll take this into the station with our with our final thoughts on the film. I thought this had moments that were a bit like a diamond in the rough, a bit like the star of Rhodesia. Um, with the rough being kind of just cliched 1940s boredom um, and the diamond being moments of kind of either inadvertent hilarity or, um, you know, some kind of interesting diverting scenes. I generally enjoyed this train action. I thought that once it got chugging, it stayed on the right track. Well, I frankly hoped for an enjoyable romp, but that train left the station. There you go. This was a train wreck. <laughs> Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore to underscore me underscore. And at mystery to me podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast at gmail.com. We're not teens setting up hotmail accounts in the early 2000s, so all of those spell out two as T O. Thanks, Thanks so, so much, much for, for listening. listening.